Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Sabbath School From Home. My name is Cameron and we've got another interesting discussion ahead of us. Well, you're very optimistic there, Ken. But uh, Ken here and I'm looking forward to the interesting discussion. <laughs> and I'm Lachlan and um, I just commented before we press the record button that this is the first time Ken and I have appeared together on the same episode of this podcast for some time. So it's, nice. it's, it's going to be fun. I'd just like to defend my optimism by saying that we have we have never yet embarked on a topic that didn't turn out to be interesting. So That's true, at least for us. Uh <laughs> at least for us. We, we hope for the listener as well. Certainly uh, our discussion on tithe uh, did uh, provoke, or, or what's a less pejorative way of saying provoke, uh, elicit yeah. um, some thoughts yeah. uh, from one of our listeners. And uh, we had a great email sent to us from uh, Carolyn and uh, she shared some thoughts on uh, some of the discussions from a few weeks ago so we won't go into a huge amount of detail because we've got this week's topic ahead of us but it was on the concept of tithe there were some good thoughts in there weren't there Locke? yeah there were um I I think so there was there was a comment um she made a comment about uh, discussing in her Sabbath school um that giving tithe was a covenantal rather than a contractual relationship. And and I liked that. And actually, Ken, as we had those discussions, I felt that your input was missing slightly on the podcast because I remember some some many months ago, uh, you schooled us a little bit on, on the legal difference between a covenant and a contract. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the, the comment here in the email about a tithe being covenantal. And, and from our side of it, it's a covenantal thing because we give um, uh, in a trusting way uh, without expecting a return. Uh, and we do that even to, uh, and this was one of the other points that Carolyn made, um, uh, even where there's the risk of uh, corruption, uh, whether it be tithes or offerings. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a, a, an important point to make. That there, is, it, that there is a balance in these things or a tension perhaps a better way of putting it in this, uh, between uh, our attitude to uh, authority and our, in our individualistic atomised world uh, where we think we make all the decisions about uh, the allocation of our resources and other aspects of our lives um, uh, as autonomous uh, individuals and uh, the respect for uh, authority even when we disagree with it. Um, uh, so I think that was... Mm. Uh, a good point uh, that that Carolyn made as well. Perhaps I haven't expressed it as well as she did. She used an example of the uh, the widow's mite, and she suggested that the context of the passage uh, in Luke uh, twenty twenty one uh, might suggest that one reason the widow was well, I mean, it was the responsibility of the priests to look after the less fortunate as one of their many jobs, and. Um, and it is possible that she was doing things tough, this widow, because they were not using the funds in the way it intended. But she still gives her coin anyway. Mm. And um, Christ affirms mm. her. So, uh, yes, there's certainly something to think about in that. Uh, it, it also um, leads us a bit in the direction of this week's discussion, uh, which is debt. And uh, I am in debt. So that means I'm a pagan heathen who has no responsibility at all to 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 talk what's the the phrase from the lesson 
the lesson says this. Um, one definition of debt is living today on what you expect to earn in the future. Today, debt seems to be a way of life, but it should not be the norm for Christians. Well, it's the norm for this Christian because well, I'm 36 and I'm trying to live in a house and prepare for my retirement in Australia where our culture and the whole financial structure of society is so heavily centred around home ownership. Now, having said that, there's lots of ways other societies function perfectly successfully without owning homes. We have friends who are Europeans, and they think well, they they they're living in Tasmania, and they they wonder why all their friends are putting so much effort into owning a house. Why would you want to own a house? Um, <laughs> and and it, it is a very and you say it's part of this culture, and it is, but it has not always been. Um, so it, it's a real uh, uh, cultural shift uh, that has occurred. And I think it's perhaps best illustrated by looking back um, to my grandparents' day uh, when uh, what one did was save up uh, to purchase a house um, uh, with your own resources, uh, without borrowing. Uh, so you'd save up to buy the house without borrowing. And then it came uh, to uh, my parents' day uh, when what one did was save up a 20% deposit and then use that 20% deposit to buy the house. Um, now in Australia, uh, there are various or have been um, and the financial regulators uh, moderate this to the extent that they're able to do so um, uh, and there are rules around it. But now one would try to buy a house with a 10% deposit uh, or um, perhaps an investment property with a 5% deposit. Uh, and um, uh, indeed, there are now in uh, some other cultures, and I'm thinking of Japan, uh, where I understand there are intergenerational mortgages. So now in Australia, you're expected to pay your mortgage off within 30 years, and most borrowers would come close to doing that. Um, uh, but uh, in Japan, there are intergenerational mortgages. So uh, you not only borrow against uh, your own uh, income, but you borrow against your children's income uh, and bind them to the, uh, uh, to the debt as well. And the, the other thing about it is, uh, the other thing about debt, and there are different types of debt, I accept, but we just look at today's consumer culture where you don't just uh, save up and buy uh, the uh, appliance that you want. Um, uh, you, uh, again, get it now. Uh, and uh, not only do you not expect to pay it from your future income, or not only do you expect to repay it from your future income, but you expect to repay it from your income five years down the track. Uh, you get it interest-free uh, until then um, with no repayments. I've got a few thoughts uh, to throw in on that. One of them is that my segue from the widow's mite towards debt will become relevant by the end of the discussion, but it might not become relevant until the end. So um, let's continue down this pathway. Um, I enjoy educating students about debt because um, a lot of students, um, a lot of kids don't know what a dollar's worth. Um, and uh, I had a student once in grade seven uh, this was only a year or two ago, asked me how much I earn. And I said, you can look it up on Google, what teachers earn. 
you can do that anytime you want. How much do your parents earn? He said, I don't know, uh, 20000 <laughs> And um, this child's school fees were $12,000 a year, and he had two siblings at the school. So that's more than 20000 He had no idea, had no idea. And so um, it's really fun stirring them up. There's some fun problems you can do with that. Um, this, uh, there's the story about and, and, and compound interest. Um, uh, Mary, you can play this two ways. One of them is you can say that Mary, the mother of Christ, invested $1 when Jesus was born, or you can say that she borrowed $1, depending whether you want this to be a happy outcome or a sad outcome. Um, but for the purpose of this discussion, let's suppose that to, to pay for some furniture, Mary, the mother of Christ, borrows a dollar and it's at 3% interest or something compounded annually. And um, when they fled to Egypt, of course, she couldn't repay the account. And you're an archaeologist and you've been digging around Bethlehem and you've uncovered a clay tablet and it is the bank book of Mary and Joseph. And 2,000 years ago, they borrowed a dollar at 3% interest. And how much do they owe the bank now? And the answer <laughs> is that the answer is that they owe the bank now the number is, is approximately the number of atoms in the world. So if they had to pay their debt back in cash and each repayment was one, um, was one atom, they would have to repay the entire world to, to pay off the loan. <laughs> the reason why that example doesn't quite stack up is partly because inflation is happening at the same time, so money is being devalued, and that makes it more complicated. But it's a real fun sort of eye-opener for students about how <laughs> compound interest works. And it... It helps me reframe the narrative a little bit around debt. Um, debt has been an issue for a long time. Uh, Christians were not allowed to borrow money from Christians. Interestingly, they could borrow money from Jews. Well, um, because, and, and, and the, if you go back 150 years, um, saying you were in debt to the Jews, or no, just saying that you were in the power of the Jews, inferred you were in financial debt. Hmm. Um, and the Jews were referred to as moneylenders. Now, one can only suppose, uh, given the amount of affection people hold for their banks demanding mortgage payments, um, how much, you know, this might have contributed towards a vague anti-Semitic sentiment hmm. um, you know, that perpetuated over many years. So uh, it does reframe the narrative, though, a little bit away from the concept of debt in and of itself and towards a focus of, power imbalance. Mm. I, I think that's a really important thing. And one of the uh, one of the texts uh, that I think we should look at uh, is in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through to uh, perhaps 10 uh, or 11. Um, so I think it'd be worth reading through that passage. Uh, I'll start it, uh, catch up and jump in when you're ready. Uh at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. I pause there simply to observe that if you must cancel debts, there must be people in debt. Uh, uh, and uh, hmm. yeah, on that basis, one wonders uh, insofar as there's a correlation between the uh, Israelite world and the Christian world, how the statement that uh, the Christian norm is not to be in debt. But in any event... I'm going to chip in and say that on a strictly mathematical sense, it doesn't require that anyone's in debt to cancel all the debts. Um, right. Okay. You, could cancel, you, could cancel, you could cancel all zero of them. 
It's a bit. It's a bit like the um, Oscar Wilde story in which the king promises to double the income of one of his courtiers who yeah. earns no money anyway. <laughs> well, in, in which case, why address it? But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. Um, he shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel the debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. Oh, Ken, can I jump in? Um, There will be no poor among you if you follow these commands. Now, some of those commands are looking after poor people. Yeah. Interesting, because wait till we get to the end. Um, (laughs) uh, So carry on. Have you got it, Cam? Carry on from there. Uh, For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. There's the coupling of the lending money and the Mm. the position of power. The power. If anyone... If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord... Your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So that's why I wanted you to wait till (laughs) the end, because there should be no poor among you. For in the land your Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if you will only obey his commands. And the passage concludes with a rather depressing note that clearly you will not only obey his <laughs> commands because there will always be the poor and needy in your land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, um, there's another thing that I just want to... Cl- there are all sorts of issues that arise around this, aren't there? Um, I, I, I wouldn't want to be said want it to be said that the reason you are poor is because you're not obeying God, um, uh, which might be implicit in that sort of statement. Um, It might be the reason why there are poor among nations or poor within a community uh, because people are being tight-fisted and not obeying God. The the other thing I would want to say is it's very clear, and there's another scripture about this. I'm not sure whether you have it to hand, Cam, but um, uh, as a borrower, you are... Well, the lender rules over the borrower. Uh, and that's a, I mean, that's a very clear principle. I, I've, I often saw it. I practiced as a barrister uh, and spent much time uh, dealing with mortgage recovery uh, proceedings. Uh, and the bank has the upper hand. Uh, it frames the agreement so that it has the upper hand. Um, and essentially, the advice that I would give to people who were entering into a mortgage, which the bank would require the Uh, lender to obtain, that is, they would require them to obtain advice so that the, uh, uh, sorry, I said the lender, I meant the borrower, so that they would require the borrower to obtain advice 
so that the borrower could not turn around and say we didn't know what we were getting into. Um, uh, and that's another mm. example of the power uh, that's exercised by the lenders. Um, but the thing that I would essentially say to borrowers is when you sign this document, you are basically saying if ever the bank wants to take this house for any reason, no matter what you have paid, they can do it. Um, uh, so you really are at the at their mercy. Um, uh, that's perhaps slight hyperbole, but only very slight. So I wonder something. I, I wonder whether this might actually be part of what is behind the cultural shift that we identified at the beginning of this episode, because for a huge chunk of human history, it seems clear to me that the lenders were not were not were not commonly constrained by by generous doses of morality. The only thing that protects us then is the fact that if one bank, if it were known that the bank was going around being aggressive and taking people's houses, they would lose their customers. Yep. So, so specifically in the context of houses, is because there are still predatory lending practices that happen around around the world. Um, the the ones that I am most acquainted with, uh, payday loans, which I think are a particular um, phenomenon in the United States. I, I don't. Do you know, Lachlan, that there's more payday loan um, outlets than McDonald's in the United States? Yeah, I wasn't aware of it, but I'm not too surprised by it. But what I was saying is that the banks that people, you know, the vast majority of everyday Australians hold, hold have take mortgages out with, those those banks are fairly trustworthy institutions. Now, every now and again, there'll be a Royal Commission will discover that the banks weren't quite as squeaky clean as we all thought, but they're not. Um, they're, 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 their vices are not that they are on a whim coming and completely upending the lives of, of a in in order repayment paying um, mm. mortgage holder, and it seems to me that this that this might be behind the rise of, um, let's say, less harmful finance. So so here here's the issue. Here's the issue. I mean, there's another passage. There's another sentence in this this week's lesson. Um, uh, by the time you get over to Tuesday, where it's giving a set of three steps about how to get out of debt, and it finishes the three steps by just making the statement, God clearly doesn't want us in debt. And I find myself stumbling over the that logical process because it's not... Our institutions are in debt. Well, Our schools are in debt. Our no, hospitals but, but, are in debt. You know, the whole problem is being in debt is often the mechanisms to generate an income so for example I, I could borrow money to buy a camera and then i could just enjoy that camera and pay it back and that is me that is me paying off a, a, a frivolous fun toy with tomorrow's income but what if i am setting up a photography business i don't start with enough capital i can't i can't feed myself while I'm saving up to buy the camera. But if I borrow money to buy the camera, I can use that camera to generate an income. And the income might be greater than the finance costs, meaning the interest and, mortgage and, and loan repayments, which means that from tomorrow, I can actually start feeding myself. This is not true of me with my camera, but it is true of me with my solar panels that I installed on the roof of my house. 
I sat and did the numbers on them. I borrowed money. I went into debt to put solar panels on the roof of my house. And the money that I am saving on my electricity bill is about 14 times greater than the money that I have to spend each week to repay the loan. So I am in, I am ahead right now from day one. And the reason I can do that is because of access to fairly responsible finance. And it, it's not an exaggeration, I don't think, to make the claim that access to finance is one of the single biggest um, factors in assisting the improvement of the general population's standard of living since the Middle Ages. Well, look, I wish Luke was here because there are many charities. Adra, I think among them, didn't they have a cow bank at one stage where they were lending people cows? And um, the cow would have a calf and then the calf would be returned back to the bank. And then they could use the milk and sell it and feed their family and they could use the cow for agricultural purposes, put plowing soil or whatever. Um, and uh, there are charities that our students support and um, at grammar uh, where I teach. And one of these charities is a charity that provides low interest loans to people with entrepreneurs in developing countries. And the rule is if you get, get and it's an honesty system, if you think, if you get to the point where you cannot repay the loan, don't. And there's no consequence issued out. But if wow. you can, if you can, do. And the vast majority of loans are repaid. Isn't that amazing? And, and it has a real impact, exactly what you've described. So, so what you do is you say, this is, this is in some ways rectifying the imbalance of um, power and, and sense of loss of dignity in being poor. Um, some people don't want to receive charity. They have ideas of things they could do to become self-sufficient. They just can't get started. So this is, this is saying to someone, hey, you're not just a poor person. You're a person with ideas. So I'm going to lend you some money. It's interesting, Cam, I want to pick up on your use of that phrase, I'm going to lend you some money. And all we've spoken about at the moment is debt in monetary terms. Uh, there, there, are, there, is, there are also other sorts of debts. We talk about not wanting to be indebted to somebody, uh, often in a social sense or a moral sense. We don't want to uh, have take support from somebody because we might then have a moral obligation to repay in kind the type of support that we received. Um, again, this is but this 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 comes back to our um, uh, our desire for independence uh, and individual independence. Um, so we, we talk about being indebted in that way, but I think it's useful to look at the different ways we can be indebted other than just money to come back and have a look at what is the uh, the ideal that God would have us work towards. Um, uh, what, what's what's the scriptural ideal? What's the Christian ideal? Um, however you want to frame it. Um, uh, because one of the things that the admonition not to go into debt assumes is that going into debt that you that that there is a uh, relation, a causal connection between going into debt and how well things will turn out for you in whatever way you, hmm. you you want to. So if you don't go into debt, you're going to be okay. If you go into debt, you're not going to be okay. But I think the 
the COVID pandemic uh, just put the light of that entirely um, because uh, uh, there were so many unpredictable uh, financial outcomes as a result of that, uh, outcomes in a social and cultural way that were simply unpredictable. It was, perhaps it ought not have been a black swan event, but it was in the nature of a black swan event, at least for many people. Um, uh, and, and it had all sorts of unintended consequences. And there are other uh, people who would have been thinking they were doing the prudent thing. Um, and, and in fact, I can say we had an opportunity to invest when the COVID-19, in some real estate, when the COVID-19 pandemic uh, first came hit. And um, we just said, look, it's too uncertain. Uh, how can it be that property prices will continue to increase as they, as they have done in the past uh, when we're faced with uh, the prospect of, you know, cultural disaster and social disaster um, mm -hmm. facing us from this pandemic. And yet what happened? I mean, if we'd, if we'd borrowed and uh, bought that property, mm. uh, we would have made a very, very tidy profit by now, even with the interest rate rises. Um, <laughs> On which you could have paid tithe <laughs> yeah, and the yes. church would have been better yeah. off. No, no, but this, gives, this brings me to my point. Um, why are we meant to be financially prudent? The reward is is you're in a better position financially. Ah, does being in a better, better position financially on average lead to a better lived life? Like, mm. um, so mm. what? it's a bit like our health, health message. We're meant to preserve our health. What for? To, mm. to live in our isolated bubbles for another five years? Mm. Or are we meant to use our life for something? In other words, is it, is it an end or is it a means to an end? Mm. Um, so our health, it's important mm. to preserve our health so that we are most able to contribute positively to our family and to the mm. world and to God's mission and et cetera. The health message isn't an end in itself. And, and you know, you could have done all that. Would you have been better off, Ken? Well, that's a separate discussion. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you start arguing against debt on the base or for debt on the basis of financial security, it seems to me you're a long way away from what the, the Bible has said. And there's too many uncertain factors, like you said anyway, uh, Ken. Uh, there's the lady who inadvertently on the internet, instead of buying 30 rolls of toilet paper, bought 30 cartons of toilet paper. It, was, it ended up being $3,500 worth of toilet paper. Um, and she couldn't get a refund on it. She'd, it had gone through on a credit card. And it was about a month and a half before. <laughs> the, it was, and she, uh. she, she paid for it. It, was, it paid for her daughter's university degree by selling it on Gumtree. Well, I find myself turning to my brain is wandering to all the different contexts, the ways that we use this word debt or to be indebted. I'm, I'm imagining a scenario where you have a close friend, you you find that you you hit a real hard snag. You you you've got to go for a trip on a weekend, but on the Friday afternoon, your car blows a head gasket and is undrivable, and you ring your mate and you say, "Look, I'm." I've just there's an important urgent trip. I've got to go to a, a you know an important funeral or some important event. Could I borrow your car? Now, no financial transaction has taken place, but wouldn't it be fair to say? Wouldn't you perhaps even hear someone say at the end of that weekend, "Thanks so much for lending me your car. I am indebted to you." It's fine to lend though, lot. No, fine to lend, but I'm talking about the poor person who's had to go and ask to borrow the car. What I'm saying is that they return the car at the material level. 
they have paid back that debt after two days at the end of the weekend. But at a social level, they know that their friend has just given them quite a favor, a convenience. There's been an inconvenience they've caused to their friend. Now, I think that we would do that sort of, if we, if we're blessed to have a close enough friend on which we could at short notice ask to borrow their car for a weekend, (laughs) then, then I think we would probably not get hung up about, oh, hang on a minute, that's going to put me in debt socially with my friend. I shouldn't go into debt, so I'm not going to do that. D- doesn't it sound a bit preposterous in that context? It does. Um, I'm looking at Psalm 37, where it says, um, he's talking about righteous people, and he says, they are always generous and lend freely. And that, that mm. infers that there are people mm. being lent too. I don't know whether it's financial resources or food or agricultural implements or whatever it would have been, but they're lending freely, and that's mm. seen as virtuous. Mm. So uh, the Bible is not opposed to debt in principle. It can't be because God has gone into debt. Oh, dear. I've just had a power failure. Funny, I just had a surge here as well, Cam. I'm sitting huh. in the dark and I've lost the recording. Huh. All right. Well, we've got our backup recording on the Zoom. I think I we should, should just should continue then. Uh, have you not just... paid your power bill, Cam? Are you in debt? Uh, <laughs> power company. Can, can my computer's come, my light's come on, but my computer's dead, so I don't think it's worth resuming it. Can I am heavily in debt because oh. after throwing some extra money into converting my CPL, I arrived home to discover that my septic system needed fixing <laughs> and, that, and that my work has not been paying me over the summer. And uh, we're down to beans and rice at the moment until I can sort out this jolly payment. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, so, um, uh, if, you need, if you need to uh, borrow some money, Cam, uh, come and have a chat to me. Cam, Cam I'm, in, I'm in your debt. Can, can I suggest that what we need to do is think about looking for a way to conclude our, uh, our discussion about debt? I had a whole bunch of verses open on my computer, Ken, to conclude it. And okay. my computer's died now. But okay. I've got, well, one. Go I've got on. one that I need to say because I started this just when the lights were going out, uh, saying that God goes into debt. And um, there's a verse in Psalms, I believe, where it says, whoever lends, no, whoever's kind to the poor has lent to the Lord mm-hmm. and he will repay. Mm-hmm. So God goes into debt. Every, every time we do something good, God's, God's sitting there at home and he's trying to tally up all these payments of blessings to send out. And he, <laughs> he says, oh, I'm overdue again. Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe there's not enough people being kind to the poor. Maybe he's pretty safe. <laughs> maybe. I, I wonder whether, I, I don't know whether this is an appropriate way to finish, but one of the most, uh, one of the most um, evocative uh, scenes in a movie uh, that I have seen is the scene at the very end of the movie Saving Private Ryan. And it's a movie about uh, a group of soldiers in World War II who get sent to um, bring home uh, the last son of uh, a mother uh, back in the United States. Um, uh, and um, uh, the, the hero played by Tom Hanks is a Captain Miller um, and uh, uh, he finds Private Ryan but dies in the process and as he dies uh, in the presence of Private Ryan um, Captain Miller says to him 
earned this. Um, hmm. Placing Private Ryan in debt to him for his life. Mm. Um, and and one of the most uh, and and in a, in the in a way that could never be repaid. And it's most telling because at the very end, when the now old man, Private Ryan, uh, goes to the grave uh, to visit the grave of uh, Captain Miller. Um, uh, he says this. He says to his family who are with him, "Tell me, I'm a good man." And I just, hmm. I, it, it, I think that just shows the power, um, in a social context, in that moral context, in an interpersonal context, of responsibility and obligation, um, which. And money is perhaps only one very small part of those obligations that we take on. Um, I just felt that was a it was very unfair of Captain Miller, um, uh, and it was uh, completely debilitating for Private Ryan, or, or I would have found it debilitating uh, to never know: Have I mm. done enough to make another's life worthwhile? I think this brings yeah. us back to the widow's mind um, and Carolyn's comment. If indeed she was contributing to an institution that was meant to be supporting her and wasn't the widow in that Jesus saw putting the mark in the offering, um, and uh, and that there was social injustice at, at work, the social injustice seems to be the focal point of the Bible's disagreement on debt. Again, a passage I'd open in Ezekiel, a chapter um, where he describes the evil people doing evil things in Jerusalem. And there's a long list of evil things they do. They they visit the temple prostitutes, they rob and they steal and they do, and they lend money and charge interest. <laughs> and then underneath it, he says, but supposing this person has a son and the person looks at it and decides to lead a different life, what will God do if the next generation reforms? And then he goes through the list and he gives the opposite. So the opposite of the murdering is he does not murder anyone and then it goes it gives opposites for each of the list and when it gets to the opposite for lending money and charging interest it says uh, the opposite of that is he will uh, not take advantage of the poor hmm. Hmm. so I, I guess my closing comments given that i have spoken i think in this episode if i'm recalling correctly at moments in what, in what counts almost as passionate defense of finance, debt, and lending. Um, I, I do want to really explicitly acknowledge that it is not just the ancient world or history where lending and debt became mechanisms for exploitation and power. And I do see that whole scenario is still very alive and well, unfortunately, in our modern world. And to that extent, I think it is really fair for us to take a very critical idea, a critical eye to the idea of debt. I think it's very fair for our church through the Sabbath School lesson to provide encouraging assistance and um, suggestions for how to minimize debt, for how to get out of debt, because it can be such a such a problematic scenario. So I, I do want to acknowledge that. Um, I think though that we that we we can't even if we wanted to live our lives in the same economic structure as the Bible was written. Um, 
money, finance, economics is, is a is not something that you opt in or opt out of as a as an individual person. It's it's a it's a social construct. It's a communal construct. That's what gives it meaning. Um, and if you're part of the the society, then then you're living in that construct. And I think to to the extent that we do have agency, and we want if we want to stand up for the needs of the poor, if we want to give generously, not grudgingly, um, like we read in Deuteronomy 15, then having slightly more nuanced things to say about the role of debt, I think, is going to actually serve our cause the best. Yeah, that's good. Um, just before we sign off, and I know we've, we've all had closing thoughts, uh, I did have one closing thought as, as a, a, to tie the loop back to yours, Cam. Um, isn't it interesting that Christ on the cross uh, said, forgive them for they know not what they do, not um, earn this. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a yeah. wonderful contrast and a beautiful picture of the grace that God and the mercy that God shows uh, to us. Yeah. Well, um, we'd better leave it there. I've no idea how long the recording's gone for because I'm staring at a blank computer screen. Uh, but uh, I think it's gone for the right length of time. So I'm going to, I'm going to, Call it to an end there. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion. Please join in and uh, send us your thoughts to cyberschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And we really enjoyed the comments that we get. And uh, please join us again next week. <laughs>